0: Hey, we we aren't going to skip the sermon because we have a guest speaker. And that would be really mean. Uh, But I'm i am super excited. We're doing a series uh, this month, um, a shared series. We've talked about this the last several weeks. Um, It's a series that we're doing with a bunch of other churches in Denver. And we said we're just doing that in a collaborative way as a sign of our unity. And I thought, what better way to wrap the series up today than to invite Roy Johnson, who's pastor at Cherry Creek Baptist, um, to preach. Uh, Cherry Creek Baptist owns this building. They built it in the 1940s. Um, they were Bonnie Bray Baptist at that time. They've changed their name since. And, uh, and we've been meeting here for nine years. So um, they've been super gracious to us. Uh, while we've been meeting here, we meet at 9. They meet at 11 a.m., which is why we always are trying to kick you out at 10.30 when you're still talking so that they can have their service. Um, but Roy, uh, Roy's been a faithful Baptist for, for many years. And I grew up Baptist, uh, so we have some common heritage. So what happened? Uh, <laughs> Uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, the Bible would say I fell away from the faith, I guess. Um, And my Baptist. Yeah, my Baptist parents are still praying for me. So they're good prayers. Uh, Yeah. All right. But uh, Roy's been a pastor for 30 years, which if you do anything for 30 years, that's faithfulness. But um, it's not easy being a pastor. Um, So, we have a huge amount of respect for him, and he's going to wrap up this series uh, looking at the Psalms of Asaph today. So, let's give Roy a big welcome.
1: So, when I heard that we were going to sing or do Psalms, Asaph, I had to remind myself who he was. <laughs> it's been a while since I took official courses. Most of the time, it's not... If it's hard to juggle, we'll just go a little long. I'm Baptist, remember? So when I saw the selection of psalms, I picked Psalm 78, and Norton didn't warn me otherwise. I understand that you like irrelevant Bible trivia, is that right? So the longest psalm is 119. And it's the one that goes through the Hebrew al- alphabet. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalek. See if somebody gets that one later. <laughs> so what do you think the second longest is? Very good. I didn't say it was a tricky one. It was just a fun one. So yes, it's the second longest psalm. It's a didactic I assume you've heard of that. It teaches a lesson. But it's a psalm. That means it's a song. Like I'm going to have to I'm not used to talking uh, to a microphone, so I may talk to my Bible. Tell me to rewind if, if you miss something important. First of all, it's a call to worship. That's a good thing for a psalm. It's what we've been doing. We've been worshiping. And it jumps right in. It isn't a prelude. It doesn't say get ready to worship. It doesn't set a mood. He's very up front and he wants us to know I'm going to teach you something. Yes, it's a psalm. Yes, it's a song. Yes, it's for worship. But the emphasis is on what we're going to learn. So make sure you listen close the first time. See, as I read it, as I looked at Psalm 78, part of what reached out to me was that I could almost hear Jesus speaking and say, I want you to pay attention. Very truly, I say to you, listen to this because I want to teach you something. Take out the ear pods. And pay attention. And this is how Psalm 78 starts out. In fact, this is verse 1. Verse 2 jumps directly to Matthew chapter 13 in the New Testament. So if it was a link you could click, verse 2 would jump you to the gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. And we're pulled forward to where people are worshiping in the temple in Jesus' time. And it says in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 13, so it was fulfilled what the prophet spoke. And the part in quotes is the part that's from Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things that are hidden since the creation of the world. This tells us that there are hidden things, there are secrets, there are truths that belong to God that he has put there, and he didn't put them there with flashes, or underline them, or say, watch out for this later when Christ comes. He just sort of pokes it there, and puts it there in the verse for us to find later. They're not obvious to us. I like C.S. Lewis, I like that he makes me think, I like that I have to say, that's not the way I've always heard it, but could it be right? Could he be onto something here? And a lot of times, I think he is. So I like the Narnia books, and in The, in the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, it talks about there's a magic that's beyond what The winter witch knows about because she knew about everything since the beginning of time, the beginning of creation. But God has his own secrets that are greater still because God isn't part of creation and he's not in time and space like we are, he's there before. He's thereafter. He's the beginning and the end of everything. And there are some things that are his, that are beyond what we can understand of time and space. These are his mysteries and his secrets. And Jesus teaches some of these, and he lets us in on some of these. And he shares them in parables. I think maybe this is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told we need to walk by faith, not by sight. Not by what we can see, but by what God reveals in Scripture. Because there are some things we can't fully understand. And that's okay. Because God's bigger than our minds, than our abilities, to understand it's good because he's infinite and we're not I call these things breadcrumbs like the verse where we're reading in a psalm when they sang that at the temple they had no clue that centuries later they're going to jump into the gospel of Matthew it wasn't until Matthew said you know the prophet spoke I love these breadcrumbs where God drops his secrets and his mysteries that nobody expects for us to find later. Because he doesn't have to share them, and yet he does. He puts them there to see if we're studying, if we're paying attention. So here's a couple of breadcrumbs that I noticed while I was studying First of all, God doesn't always speak to us so that we stop and say, whoa, that was God. God just gave me something that's going to mean a whole lot when Christ comes. Now it says that, that Asaph spoke as a prophet. I don't know that he knew he was being a prophet. I think that he thought he was writing songs And leading worship. And yet, as he's writing, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and all of a sudden, he writes down prophecy that he probably wasn't aware of. But that's how God works. These are mysteries, these are secret, these are hidden things. Remember? Remember the Elijah sermon. He's listening, and God's not in the big, and the flashy, and the loud, he's in the quiet and the small voice when we shut up and let him speak to us. See, Asaph is writing a worship song. He's writing a psalm for when they go to the temple and the words of God's inspiration pour out into the psalm and some of what Christ will do after the incarnation shows up and We have one of these breadcrumbs, a mystery, a secret. He's going to speak God's hidden things in parables. And he's writing about God's Mashiach, God's Messiah, Christ, years later. And so his job is to be a priest in the temple. His job is to write psalms. His job is to lead worship, to teach the singers. And yet also, he's an Old Testament prophet. Matthew says so. Musician, yes. Worship leader, yes. But prophet as well. He shares the truth of God and shares some of what Christ is going to say. And we have breadcrumbs shuffled into the middle of an Old Testament psalm. We have another one because I think this is very cool. I'm going to jump to it just to share it because it's another breadcrumb. In verse 24, a bit ahead, we've got another New Testament verse. This is the one where it talks about God took care of them and provided manna from heaven. And we have this truth that Christ was the manna come from heaven, the bread of heaven. And he came for our benefit, spiritual food, because we needed more than a physical meal. We needed the Son of God himself And this is where Jesus tells them in John 6.33 that the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is one of God's word pictures and Jesus tells them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And because it upset some of the people just so that everybody knows, he didn't accidentally say, I am. In chapter 8, he makes it very clear. He says one of those, very truly I say unto you, before Abraham was born, I am. So we have here a psalm a musical because it's too long for just a normal worship song. Actually, it's so packed full of everything, I think we've got a cantata. (laughs) And we've got a foreshadowing of Jesus' appearance and being the great teacher. And also that he's the manna that everybody hears about from the Old Testament. From Exodus, he's the bread from heaven. He's the bread of life. And we have that he is pictured in this. We've got one of these truths. We've got a breadcrumb for the bread of life and it's God's Messiah. See see what I So let's go back to the music. Because this is a psalm. After the first Passover and the Exodus, the Broadway version of musical number 78 in verse 5 says that he decreed statutes for Jacob and established God's law in Israel. And at the end of verse 5 and 6, we have the purpose. It's shared with us. What's going on? Now, remember, this is in the psalm, so this isn't secret. The people who are learning the psalm and learning to sing it, they're picking up on this too. Verse 6, so that the next generation would know God's laws, God's truths, his commandments, the children who were to be born. So the law is God's Torah, his ways... And technically, he's aiming at the children's children. So he wants not just the next generation. He wants the generation to teach the generation and on and on. That's why we have children's ministry. It's important for the children to understand some of the truths that we've heard and figured out. Verse number 7, God gives them the law not because God needs a place to put it, but so that they would learn to trust in him, so that they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So why this big grand plan for the Ten Commandments? Why this musical to remind everybody so that, they don't, so that we don't forget. See, that seems to be the whole idea behind all of this. And it's because God knows that we forget. It's just part of the DNA. It's who we are. We need reminders for important things. Without them we get wrapped up in ourselves and we start to think that we're more important than God. Most of the non-Hallmark holidays that we observe and celebrate started out as holy days. Christmas, New Year's, Passover, Easter, Thanksgiving, all of them had a religious or worship root to them. Because... We need to be reminded. We need to be pulled back. And if it takes the calendar or a feast or a holiday or a holy day for us to remember God's intent, then that's what we do. Even a lot of the hallmark holidays, they're not holy, but they're reminders. We've got Mother's Day and Father's Day and birthdays All of them remind us. You need to call mom. You need to call dad. You need to buy your wife flowers. So we train the children. And we remind them and teach them the psalm. They learn the musical as well so that they teach their children. So that all are reminded who God is. So that we will not forget his deeds. But we'll keep His commandments. And that's God's whole point that we remember, that we are faithful, that we realize He's the one who's important. He's the one in history, not us. Yes, we are here, but He was before, and He'll be after. So Psalm 78 is a psalm of remembrance, a psalm of instruction. And whether it was sung by the choir or it was learned by the congregation or it was both, it reminds them and it teaches them. It reminds them of Exodus and God's deliverance from Egypt, the wonders he did, the miracles he did. It was a drama. That's why I think it's a musical. It was a drama of God leading and caring for and delivering his people. And as it's written, they're now gathering at the temple and they're singing so that they don't forget their own history. Santiana's famous for saying that those who fail to learn from history repeat it. But really, he was re Hegel, who said pretty much the same thing a hundred years before: that we don't learn from history. But both of them really just plagiarized Solomon, who was son of King David. Because he said, what has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. We forget things that we already know. And we need to make an effort to remember them. To help we've got this really long musical cantata psalm. Verse number 10 says, but they didn't keep God's commandment and they refused to live by his law. So they learned the musical. The singers memorized the musical and yet they forgot, maybe not literally, but they lived like they forgot what God had done for them. Right after they got out of Egypt, Moses is collecting the law, what God wants taught to the children and the grandchildren. And while he's out of sight, with the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud there in their sight, they take and make that golden calf. You've seen the movie. And their excuse is, well, it just jumped out of the fire. We couldn't do anything about it. And so they find themselves wandering in the desert 40 years. And no, it wasn't because of a lack of Google Maps, and it wasn't because they didn't listen to their wives. Although, and the movie makes this seem awful, Awful, and and it was. They were worshiping an idol. God delivered them. And spiritually, they go back. But that's not why God made them go in circles. And if you watch the movie, that's, that's not immediately obvious. See, God's taking them to the promised land. And they get to the Jordan River. They're ready to go into the promised land. And they start questioning God. They send some spies in, and the spies say, There's there's giants. We're willing to trust God, but giants are probably too big for them. We've got an allergy to giants. Honestly, they had an allergy to faith and trust, but they decided to blame it on the giants. A life of faith and not knowing what God would do and how He would do it was too much. And they couldn't trust. God wasn't worth that much to them. In verse 19, they speak against God and they say, Can God really take care of us in the wilderness? Can He feed us? And yet, even though it wasn't deserved, Grace reigned. This is why it's good that I'm not God. Because I'm not sure they deserved it. But God's God. And that's a good thing for a lot of us. Verse 23 and 24 says, They questioned and God gave a command. And the skies opened and the doors of heaven and he rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them of the grain of heaven. This is that verse where the manna represents God's picture. That Christ, the one from heaven, is the bread of heaven. The bread of life. And then here we go again. Verse 32. In spite of God's grace, in spite of God's provision... They kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they don't believe. And it says they ended their days in futility and in fear. So they go around and around. They go in circles for 40 years. Verse 34, whenever God treated them with justice, the way they deserved, and some died, they'd say, okay, we've, we've run out of grace, we need to come back to God, and they would seek him. Eagerly they would turn to him, and they would remember that God is their rock, that God the most high is their redeemer. But then, and there's always a but then with us. Verse 36, but then they would flatter him with their mouths. They would say the right words. They would pray good prayers. They would sing the songs when they went to temple. But their tongues were lying. Their hearts were not loyal. And they were not faithful to God's covenant. And yet, he's merciful. And he forgives their iniquities. And he didn't destroy them. Refer back to it's a good thing I'm not God. By the way, verse 36 is the center of this second longest psalm. Yay, what is it you had them saying? So we're halfway done. Good sermon. But unfortunately, it's also the central theme of the psalm and the whole Old Testament. And the sad thing is that even though the first gener- of generation of children after circling in the wilderness for 40 years, followed God and Joshua and Caleb, and they did take the promised land. The next generation fell back in the old habits, and they started going in circles themselves. Not literally, they didn't move from city to city, but spiritually, they started going in circles. Verse 38, time after time, God restrained his anger and didn't stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were flesh, that they were a passing breeze that will not return. If you want homework, look at James 4.14 because it's interestingly similar, but apparently not a breadcrumb. So they wander and they circle. Verse 41, again and again they put God to the test and they frustrate the Holy One of Israel. And the rest of Asaph's psalm reminds them how they would draw close to God and then they would back off again. They would do see and do in and then they would turn and move away again. And we've got this dance closer, farther, bless me. Okay, I'm good now back off, come back to God. And they go in this circle and they play this dance for the whole Old Testament. Verse 57, if we don't learn from their history, and at times it's what we do as well, we can go in circles. We can waste our spiritual life going nowhere, losing out on God's blessings See, we know much more spiritual truth than they did. We've got the whole scripture now. We've got the New Testament. We've got the Holy Spirit, not just with us, but in us. So we may not totally avoid the whole cycle because we've inherited Adam's nature. We have it in us. We've got his DNA. But if we listen... If we learn the teachings, if we learn the psalm and the lesson, we can come back to the Lord sooner. We can cut the cycle and the dancing short, not by memorizing the Ten Commandments or saying the right things. Remember they tried that? But by following the teachings, the precepts of Christ. So some things that we need to remember. First of all, acknowledge that bad habits are hard to break. We understand that. Remember the the golden calf. Our natural default is not to live by faith, but to live by sight. We need to watch out for when we become so familiar with God that we start taking his presence and his holiness for granted. Also, and this one's related, we can become so used to expecting God's blessings that we can stare right at them, and we can expect them when we don't deserve them. And last, we can do what they did when faced with the giants, we can be afraid of living by faith and trusting God because it's not always easy. See, this is a good reminder. This is a good teaching, and it's worth looking back at and remembering that this off-off, way-off Broadway musical should have been called spinning my wheels getting to the promised land, but instead it's called Psalm 78. Remember, hear his words, listen to his teaching, keep close to God. Heavenly Father, we offer ourselves and we ask that you put this down in our minds, in our hearts. Push it in deep. Make it so that we remember it.